0: I think just letting women know that they they matter, they deserve support, they don't have to be at a particularly bad place in their mental health to still benefit from getting extra support in this life transition.
1: Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Jema. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am McLean McGowan, your host of the Mother of the Mother podcast. Before I begin, I just wanted to center in. So if you are in a place where you can close your eyes, just take a moment. Close your eyes. Find your seat. Allow the sit bones to settle down into the ground beneath you. Lengthening up through the spine. Just taking a couple of long, deep breaths, inhaling deeply, deeply through the nose, taking a brief pause at the top, and an audible exhale as you let it out. Just doing a couple of rounds of that. You know, it's really important as women, and especially as mothers, to grab these little micro moments throughout the day to recenter. And that literally can be three breaths. It's really powerful what we can do when we put intention behind action. It could be three minutes in the car meditating before your next pickup or the pickup line or going into a meeting. It really can be these little moments that if we're just conscious of them throughout the day, they add up to quite a bit by evening time. I know I certainly get trapped in an all or nothing cycle. So it's like, if I can't go for an hour walk, what's the point? Or if I can't meditate for 20 minutes twice a day, what's the point? And actually, there's so much to just those little movements that break up the energy, that help heal our bodies throughout the day, that give us that nervous system regulation. And just to come back into our actual beings. You know, we're living, especially if we're in a city, living these very fast-paced lives. And now even if you're not in a city on social media, you know, in this global awareness, we're still kind of have these antenna out around us all day long. And it's it's really not good for us. And then add into all the parts of motherhood and parenthood and partnership, marriage, work, you know, it's, it's a lot of outside of us. So just grabbing those moments to come back in and allow to connect, you know, allow ourselves this time to connect with our true selves, because when we wear all these different hats or have different parts of our personality, it's very easy to forget who we really are. you know who am I truly underneath the labels that, you know society's putting on me? Because I don't necessarily even think in labels that much, but if I sit and think about it, it's like it is true. It's like I'm a wife, I'm a mother of two, I'm a business owner, I'm a postpartum doula. I'm a nutritionist, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, I'm this kind of friend to this person, I'm this kind of friend to this other person, you know, and it's a lot of things. So really just to come back to my core center self that is beyond all of those things, you know, who is McLean? Who am I beneath my skin and my muscles and my fat and my organs? Like where, where's my true center, my soul? So I feel like if, if, uh, a day goes by or multiple days go by where I'm not tuning in, that's when I really start to um, become really depleted and kind of like energetically go off the rails. For me, as I just keep expanding and holding more and asking of myself to hold more, I have to fill up with these little moments and know that that's just the season I'm in right now. That's the season of my life. It won't be forever. And to enjoy it. Enjoy this moment because I don't want to wish years away. I don't want to wish months away of my kid's life. You know, I don't want to miss out on time with my husband, you know, wishing that things could be perfect. We always go on that week to Hawaii or, you know, it's it, getting out of my head and just taking the moments in the here and now are really important. So I do want to start um, offering that a little bit more, maybe through the space, talking about it. Because I certainly do with my um, private clients, but I think it's really important to verbalize and to urge you guys to do it for yourself too. Whatever it is, whether it's a ten-minute walk or twenty-minute walk, or you know, during your lunch break, just getting outside for five minutes, whatever that is, to refill just even a little bit, and especially all that is going on in the world right now, we really we really owe it to ourselves so that we can keep carrying on and we can be strong and we can use our voices for the greater good. Because we are in a very potent moment in history right now. The way we're treating our mother earth, the way we're treating the women of our society, the way we're treating mothers, the way that we're not believing mothers. You know, in California, we're up against... um, having our medical freedoms just taken away from us. And um, we're fighting back and we're speaking up and we're saying, yeah, no, we're not aligning with your mandates. You know, show me the science. That's what it comes down to. Show me the science because the medical system is different than science. That's a bottom line fact. So when you really dig deep, the science doesn't support these new mandated laws. And I urge you to do your own research. And I'm not pro or anti anything really, um, except for bullying and violence and corruption and hurting people when it's not your place to make those decisions. So fired up, but also taking a day or two to kind of come and calm my nervous system because we can't keep up keeping the fight every single day and still offering grounded love and tools and presence with our children if we are totally discombobulated. So wherever you are, however you can speak your truth, however you can represent your community, however you can express what you know within your heart as a woman and a mother, is true. Do not be bullied. Do not take it sitting down. Use your voice for your daughters, for your sons, for this next generation. May we change the lineage of women being second-class citizens. May we speak up for our mothers. May we speak up for our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, our great-great-grandmothers. And may we carry them with us because we are here because of them. We are here because of their sacrifices. We are here because of their suffering. And we owe it to them and the future generations to keep on going, to keep up and keep going. And I pray that we can do that with grace and ease and true healing and true health. There's a beautiful thought, which is true sustainability which the Native Americans always thought of in all of their decision-making process of how will this decision affect seven generations forward? And that's how people have lived throughout time. You know, what is this impact on our future? And it just blows my mind that there is like none of that going on in the world right now. Like literally none of that, you know. And it's really important to think, what world are we living in? What world are we leaving for our babies, these precious babies we've called in and brought in? And unfortunately, we can't just kind of live in our nice little bubbles anymore. Uh, The world is not allowing for that. So, yeah, it's time to rise up, ladies. So, switching gears. About a week and a half ago, I was asked to be, or I was on a panel. I was asked a couple of months before that, but I was on this beautiful panel hosted by Ergo Baby, which I love. Shout out to Christina Saletti and Elizabeth Antonia for asking me to be a part of this panel. It really was so beautiful and deep and so nourishing for myself they have a new carrier called Embrace so this campaign was embrace motherhood so it's really embracing the fourth trimester the first 40 days tradition and not trying to just kind of hustle through it and gloss over it or even heal through it you know cuz we we tend to look at you know the first 40 days is like something to be gotten through rather than this beautiful sacred time to heal and bond with our babies and nurture ourselves as we go through this unbelievable change from maiden into mother. You know, it is this crucial portal of time in a woman's life and so I was so happy to jump on board because I am all about embracing all the parts of motherhood, the good, the bad, the ugly, the bloody, the horrifying, the you know, divinity of it, the beauty of it. You know, the pure magic love of it all. So The other panelists were awesome. And it was funny, we were all just like chit-chatting. We didn't even want to leave each other because it was one of those things where we could have just sat there probably and talked for 12 hours about all the different topics. I personally love Ergo. I am not paid by them in any way. This is not an ad, but Ergo carriers are the only ones that I truly love. Not to say any other carriers are not as good. I am just not gifted in all the baby wraps. And you'd think as a postpartum doula, I would. Um, it's just not my forte. I'm going to admit it. You know, I have strong points and I have weak points, and the wraps are a weak point. My babies never liked them. My first ergo was when I had Jemima, and a girlfriend gave it to me. She was the second family, so I was the third family with the same carrier, and it had already gone through. Kids. So it was an old carrier. So Jemima was the fifth kid, you know, and I wore it until she was at least probably two, two and a half, three. And then I ran into Christina at a birth event a couple years ago and she gave me this new carrier because, you know, I wasn't going to have a second child and I was going to give it to a client and then I just kept it in my trunk and then I ended up having Goldie Wolf and she adores it and I've been using it since and I still use it every day. I keep it in the back. Seat of my car, and whenever we get out, she goes pouch pouch, and she picks it up because she loves being in it so much. And I wear it on the front still because I love the cuddles with her. But if we're going on a long walk or hike, or I'm carrying a lot of groceries, I will use it on my back, which feels really awesome. So, anyway, shout out to Ergo Baby, I love you, ladies. Thank you so much for including me, and I look forward to more collaboration in the future. I was really excited to meet Abby Bird on that panel. She is the interviewee on this episode and she is a therapist. And so we connected that Saturday and then I did an interview with her on Monday, which thank you, Abby, for jumping on with me so quickly and saying yes. She is based in San Diego, but she does do sessions um, via Skype, And is just now launching a new online therapy, psychotherapy and um, perinatal services and course online. So I'm really excited about that. And she'll talk about that in the interview. She is a therapist for everything, but really has used her, her voice for moms during pregnancy and postpartum. And I just really loved everything that she shared. She's so grounded. She's so honest. She's a mother of two daughters. It was a real privilege to sit down and have a video chat with her over Zoom. And I hope you enjoy the listen and we'll have the links to her that you can find her in her new course and find her on Instagram and all of that goodness. But, um, you know, doing this panel, it was just more information and Solidifying what I know is that it is so powerful when we gather together. And Instagram and social media has been a beautiful portal for that. And it is pretty incredible having, you know, in depth conversations and supporting sisters from all over the world and feeling support from them. It really is beautiful. And also, there is so much power in doing it in real time, in person. I once again was reminded how powerful it is and how. We need to make the space and time to do that on a more regular basis. So I hope you enjoy the listen and thanks again for tuning in. J Ma.
2: So Abby, thank you so much for being here today and just jumping right on in. We met two days ago. That's (laughs) right. At the Ergo Baby panel, which was amazing. The embrace motherhood launch of their new carrier, which shout out to Christina. It was so awesome. And Elizabeth and Tonya, it was such a great event. Amazing. And we really, as we were just saying before we started recording, just how important it is for us to be around like-minded people and to really kind of get out of our own little sphere of our own work in the postpartum world and, Mm -hmm. and see how as a community, we're really facilitating change in education. It's just, it's so inspiring. And I think it's so important to do. So tell me a
0: little bit about how you got into this work. Oh, thank you so much. Um, So to back up, I've been involved in mental health basically my entire adult life. I kind of fell into it when I was 20 and discovered I liked being able to help other people and be intellectually challenged. And now I find that it's so much more than just an intellectual challenge. It's it's spirit, spiritual, mental, physical. Like it, you know, the the therapist is a vessel for healing, and so we have to be aware of ourselves on all those levels. So I digress a little bit. I, I also train other therapists, and so these are things that I like to think about as I talk with them. So now it's been over twenty years that I've been working in mental health, but I did not get into the postnatal, perinatal, um, postpartum world until I became a mom myself, mm-hmm. um, like so many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, I think it wasn't even on my radar. So even despite all my training, um, and I worked in a, a training site for UCSD where they train psychiatry residents, nobody talked about anything related to postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. So it wasn't even something that I was aware of. I didn't know that it could be the most common complication of childbirth. I did not have full-blown clinical depression um, with either of my kids. But the first one especially hit me really hard. It, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, you know, the, the sleep deprivation, the struggles, breastfeeding the pressure i was putting on myself to breastfeed the tension i had with family members who were pushing formula the ideals i had for myself just everything made it made it hard being yeah. living in a city away from my family being somewhat isolated um we talked we talked we've talked a little bit about the isolation of the nuclear family how isolating that is versus being um embraced by a village um yeah. Totally. How old are your kids? Oh, thanks for asking. They're almost six and tomorrow, eight. So uh, I guess I became a mom tomorrow, eight years wow, ago. Wow. Yeah. My oldest is about to turn eight in two weeks.
2: Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, uh, I'm right there with you that, you know, this the, the birth world has drastically changed in eight years, the amount of education that's out there. Thank goodness. Now. Thank goodness. You know, and it's so. You know, I just love hearing people's story about how they started on in this work because I feel like everyone is called to this work for a specific reason. It's not just like jerking right. off the road. It's like I'm going to get into postpartum work. You know, it's really it's yeah. led us here for healing because we we needed ourselves and we want to bring it to others.
0: And and I love that you're coming from the birth world. I think so much of what made my second birth so drastically different. Was being connected, having a doula, taking a hypnobirthing class. It was um, a full-on hypnobirth experience. Just being like, that was amazing. That was incredible. Wow. I want want to be like a lactation consultant. I wanted to stay involved. Actually, initially, I thought after my second birth, I want to give birth again and again and again and again and again. (laughs)
2: <laughs> exactly right. um but what, i've never been like that i'm always like thank god i never have to do that again <laughs> yeah i i thought like oh i don't know if i could care for more than two kids though <laughs> right right Well, that's amazing uh, i mean that's an yeah. amazing power house to be able to say that after birth I'm, I'm amazed by women that feel that way
0: i think that for me like having so after that one um my acupuncturist came to my house and de- did a warming of the womb ceremony for me afterwards. I had mom friends who came and brought me food and played with my toddler. Um, it, you know, it was a very different experience. I knew what to ask for, I was empowered to ask for it. Um, it you know, placental encapsulation, um, who, who knows, but I do feel like everything played a role. Yeah. And I'll tell you one more story. Yeah,
2: please what tell many what you want.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I think maybe my, my new baby was maybe two weeks, about two weeks old or 10 days to two weeks. And I remember it was about lunchtime and pushing, pushing the toddler in a swing on the playground and wearing, wearing the little one in a ring sling and talking to a friend of mine who was approaching two weeks overdue and she was getting very anxious because she wanted to deliver in a birth center. And she was like approaching third deadline of how far overdue you could be. And I remember talking to her about what she could do to that she already knows how to do. She already has to lower her anxiety and to relax. And she's like, oh yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And she had that baby before dinner. Yes.
2: I love that. <laughs> it's such a mental game. It is yes. so mental. I know. it's. It really, I love that. It's such an important thing for women to hear of just letting go of that control. And then when you can surrender more times than not, it happens. That
3: sounds incredible. incredible.
0: Me, that was the light bulb like, oh, <laughs> I already know how to help people with anxiety and depression. Like, oh, I already have a skill set I can bring. <laughs> totally. I started my private practice while I was on maternity leave. Just kind of got the beam in my wow. bonnet and did it and been doing that since. Wow.
2: So like six years? Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So can you just break down some um, facts for the community of like kind of what are the stats of postpartum depression and anxiety? How do you really even determine that? Because I do feel yeah. like it's such a... Um, it's like we kind of hear about... The most intense aspects, but then it's really hard to, to pick apart where you fall in the continuum because also, you know, we've never been so underslept. We've never been breastfeeding on top of being so exhausted, not to mention like our own journey from maiden to mother and what that brings exactly. our own lineage. Like, there's so many pieces to it. And so part of it, it just is just being a new mom, but then also there's the chemical aspect and then there's the mood disorder. So, yeah, and you can kind of shed
0: some light it would be so helpful. Okay, great. So I think I mentioned the the incidence of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders for women is one in five. Wow. Um, we could do a whole other topic on dads and partners. So for non-birthing parents, regardless of gender, there's an incidence of one in 10 for wow. perinatal. And anxiety disorders. And, you know, that's the last person anyone is checking on. Uh, but to go to women, it is one in five. Um, but it is a spectrum. Like I said, um, it doesn't. Care. I've been listening to a few of your podcasts and I love that you're pro therapy. And so what I want to encourage all women to know is that you don't have to wait until you have full blown depression. Don't wait until you're diagnosable because. Diagnoses aren't even really important in my mind. Mm. The question is, do you need support? Are you going through a transition? Um, Do you want to say things that maybe you don't want to say to your partner? Or does your partner and your family have they... Do you feel like they're not enough support? Um, They're they're filling a very important role, but they don't necessarily have this insight, as you said, into the journey from maiden to mother. Um, And it's funny that you said that. I used to have a... um, Perinatal support group, and that was the name was made into Mm -hmm. mother, and it was not about you know depression or anxiety or labels, so that we could have some skills around it. It was about that that switch in our identity. There's so much that is changing in how we view ourselves. Um, I work oftentimes with women who have already had a career, they've already created um, some success or achievement in their life, and when you get to be a new mom, you are thrown into it as a novice. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's happening. You don't know what to do. You're second guessing yourself. You're getting conflicting opinions from everyone in your life. Yeah. There's so much advice and it's a billion different ways you could do it. And that's so exhausting and overwhelming.
2: Yes. I mean, that, that yeah. enough can just make you go batty. And it's high stakes.
0: This
3: exactly. is life or death yeah. Yeah. for your
0: brand new infant. Yeah and that to me that so if you want to go to a diagnosis look at the diagnosis for post traumatic stress this is the definition this is a life threatening situation if you've gone through a, a birth experience where your life was in danger or there were moments when the baby's life was in danger your your nervous system has been triggered to go into the fight or flight all out and so now our nervous systems are fried yeah. It's like the the elect- electrical they're like I can't talk, but they're short circuited, and yeah. so the smallest trigger, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe it sounds like the baby stops breathing in the middle of the night. Your brain is going to be like, my baby can't breathe, my baby's going to die, my baby's going to have SIDS. I cannot go to sleep. I'm going to stay up and watch. Someone has to be watching the child all night. That
2: was me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it's real. I mean, it's so it's real. real and. And no one, you know, because I did have loving people. I didn't have a lot of support with my first. But, mm. you know, when people are trying to be so loving, just like, just close your eyes. Baby's fine. You know, it, it doesn't matter what people are saying because when it is trapped in your body as a trauma, yes. you need like real professional help to unwind it. And, you know, my baby started sleeping through the night at like six months, but I didn't really sleep through the night for at least three years because yeah. I was so caught in that cycle you were just talking about, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I feel like this is such an important topic and I'm so glad you're bringing this up. And, um, you know, I'm trying to like, I just also feel like this, this whole topic is so many layers, you know, this will probably be like, maybe we need to do this in different parts of Mm -hmm. many different episodes. Um, but, you know, speaking to hospital birth and, you know, I mean, a lot of people have great and wonderful hospital births and I'm not taking Mm -hmm. away from any of that. But you know what can happen, and I've seen a lot with myself and my clients is that our bodies are just not treated totally respectfully. So you know, mm-hmm. my birth, the outcome, healthy baby, you know, healthy mama, but I did have trauma, and you know, compared against another mom that had horrible situation,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I would judge myself like, well, I, we're fine. You know, I didn't have a trauma, but I was really bypassing what was in my body still. So I kind of made peace with a lot of it in my head, but it was trapped in my body. And that took years with different forms of therapy, body work to really uncoil, you know,
3: and be able to feel.
0: Thank you for sharing a little bit about your story. I I think what you're saying, I hear so many important things. Um, One is that there's no need to compare ourselves. To me, a traumatic birth is having any kind of experience which veered from what you were expecting and wanting. Um, That is a trauma and a loss. And it is a physically invasive experience, no matter how it goes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would be important for us to also hold space for any women who have had past sexual abuse or past physical abuse. I oftentimes talk to women who think, well, I'm so past that. I've done the therapy. I've, you know, I'm way past all my childhood issues or past issues that's far in the past. And they're so surprised how they come back up to the surface again. I just got chills because
2: that is... I would love to do maybe an episode on that with you. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did my prenatal teacher training when my daughter was about a year old, so this would be seven years ago, hearing from different teachers that were doulas and I'd never thought about this before, but when you are opening your cervix is opening and you hit Mm -hmm. like stage, like four, I can't even think of the, the dilation of like number four. Okay. That a lot of that sexual abuse can come up because it's actually like the opening of penetration. Oh wow. And so like, many, many times, no matter how much work they've done, no matter how much they think it's like literally not even on their radar, it is stored in their body. And so it's, it is, um, it's a very visceral trauma. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, I think that's really important for women to know that because statistically there are a lot of us, right. That have been sexually abused. So, um, that are having babies. So I think that's really important for women to know that so even during their pregnancy, they can get maybe additional help and just kind of prepare for that. Um, can I just
0: throw out yeah. a couple of things yes. that I think are helpful? Um, some, well, some people are selective about their healthcare providers. So if the first time you sit down with a doctor or midwife, you don't like them, honor that gut instinct. Um, oftentimes, maybe it's someone who doesn't listen to you um doesn't take you seriously or is um, has more of an attitude that my opinion carries more um so finding a healthcare provider that really empowers you and listens to your boundary mm-hmm. a healthcare provider that's going to ask permission before they touch you mm-hmm. and then someone who's going to you know they don't always have to check you and so being empowered to know that you can say no to to checks and 100% all that. My midwife wouldn't even check me. I would like plead with
2: her, please check me. Like, where am I? But it's so important, especially if you've had a trauma um, with body violations. I think that is key and paramount to be able to have that respect. And even if it feels awkward and fumbling, to really mm-hmm. just be your own advocate and, and know that that's okay, and give yourself permission for that. Oh yeah. Um. Cause that's, it's just, it's really, really huge. And I mean, I won't get, since it's not my story, I won't get into all those other stories, but it's, it's very interesting. The stories I have heard about that particular topic. And then once Mm -hmm. people are removed from the situation, you know, family members, once they're able to really open up, have a good cry with their doula, the birth takes off and it flips, you know? Mm. So, um, yeah. It's just, it's that's really, so interesting. Really
3: interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, it could go in a couple of different directions, but one thought is just not judging yourself if you feel triggered by your baby. So, if you're mm-hmm. trying to breastfeed, um, mm-hmm. you may feel touched out by your baby, and that's so normal, whether you've had trauma or not. And in my invitation is to let go of that self-judgment. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom. Mm -hmm. What are some things
2: that you can advise women that do feel really touched out? Because I think with this, you know, there's so much great education out there, but then we're also Mm -hmm. inundated. So like with attachment parenting, which there's so many pros to that, but I also see a lot of moms totally touched out and like a raw nerve because they have no body autonomy. So what are some little exercises or tools or is it just kind of unlocking that we are doing things the way we think we need to instead of what we really should be doing? Or like, how do you
3: navigate okay, so,
0: that? So one one concept I have is... The idea that the way we teach our children about boundaries is by honoring our own boundaries. I agree. And so this could even be a small infant. Um, You know, maybe like you know, uh, my my recollection of breastfeeding has more to do with older kids. Um, Mm -hmm. um, My youngest went until she her fourth birthday.
3: Oh wow! And so that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm proud, proud of it, but it came with definitely its own navigation of boundaries. Um, sure. But even with an infant, there are times where you can communicate to your partner like I, I simply can't. I'm touched out. I know there's some in the freezer. Can you give the baby a bottle?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so being being able to be aware, you have to be aware of your boundary yeah. before you can enforce it. Right. So with small kids, they talk about bubbles. And, you know, it's so interesting. My daughter thought that my breasts were a part of her body because that's how babies are. But being able to teach her like, no, this is my bubble. I'm in control of my bubble. I get to say, I get to invite you into my bubble and I get to decide when you get to leave my bubble. Mm. You get to do the same for your body. Which so I love that. To raise children that are... We're giving them everything they can to prevent being abused. This is one of the single most important things we can do is empower them to know their own bubble and enforce their own bubble. And the first way I do that is by enforcing my own bubble. So they really do learn from us. Exactly.
2: Yeah, there's this this woman here in LA and um, she teaches all about this, boundaries for kids and, Mm. and really preventing... You know, sexual abuse and things like that. And she, the mantra is, "I'm the boss of my own body." You know, just from I a very it. young age. Just like you yep. are the governing person of your own bubble. So that's great.
0: I I, I always said very similar things. Even like i um, potty training. Like you're gonna love it when you go in the potty because then you're gonna be the boss of of mm. every everything. Mm. You're the boss of your body. You're the boss of your pee. You're the boss of your mm-hmm. poo. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah you know something I can't remember where I heard it or read it I think it was one of my friends slash mentors in a conversation and she was saying you know we are responsible for being touched out Mm -hmm. which I see that but I also don't want to say it in like a shaming way I think it's just that piece that you just mentioned of awareness and Mm -hmm the more aware we can be of all of these things. But it's hard to be aware because we haven't navigated through it, most of us, before. You know, I think with the second kid, you have an opportunity to really force correct things that you know didn't work the first time around. But the first time around, you're just figuring it all out. But really kind of pulling back or stopping before you go off the edge, you know, in all the things. So really owning, if I'm going to have like cuddle time with my husband later, I need. To because we need to reconnect, and he's mm-hmm. feeling left out, or she's feeling left out, um, and just noticing, you know, how to prevent yourself from being touched out all day, so then you can give that because it's it's so much giving, it's so much output, um,
0: and it is tricky. Yeah. It's tr- it's tricky to be everything to everybody. It's very
2: and so now,
0: now we got to look at um, you know what fills your cup, what fills right. your bucket, and consciously making the decision. I think. So many of us uh, have this concept of motherhood is martyrdom. Yeah. And that will, this is just what I do. I just bend over backwards and do everything. And this is just going to be tough. And to me, in my opinion, that's not really sustainable. No. Um, you know, I don't want at, at the extreme to, to, um, lose a mom or have a mom run away. You know, try try to find a way to make it sustainable, so you can best give to to others. So you can wear your oxygen mask. Yeah, and it is such an important
2: part because I feel like we all hold resentments, especially that postpartum, because it's just not equal. You know, no matter how amazing your partner is, it is not equal in the output of a newborn. You know, it's biological, and I think that's also an important piece to know because with men coming in more and partners or same-sex partners, but especially for the men that, you know, kind of societally have not been around a lot of babies before they have their own, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, girls babysit
3: more growing up and are around it. Um, Just, I feel like sometimes there's like a false feeling
2: of like, no, like they're getting six weeks off now and like we're in it together and we've taken all the classes and, there are these expectations that you're gonna be really sharing the load and it it's it's not nature like it's impossible to share the load it's great when they're there and can help and assist but I don't know I've just seen it within my clients that they're it's almost like the partners that are awesome that are so close and they're like we're doing this as a team they almost kind of like suffer the most postpartum because they just think it's gonna be completely equal you know and I feel like coming back to just what is biological. If you're the mom feeding and you're the first baby home, you're really the number one support.
3: You
0: know, I think if, if you want to look at gender stereotypes, I think more often the moms have this higher expectation on themselves mm-hmm. of being an amazing mom mm-hmm. um, and I do, I do see expectations even for heterosexual couples changing and more, more men being more involved. But I think it's like, it's icing. It's right. like the frosting. It's like bonus. It's like, well, great. Like, you know, you have a guy that wakes up at 3 a.m. and changes diapers. Um, but I think that there's this expectation that if a mom doesn't do like this entire huge, long list, laundry list of all the things, then we judge ourselves like i'm not doing everything like i'm a bad mom and i see that more often in women mm-hmm. so how do you counsel women that come to you with that i think holding space and stepping back sometimes it's just normalizing expectations right you know and and to hold space for for men i think for men who have been kind of raised in traditional american society there can be more pressure for them if they're not financially providing.
3: Yeah. Um, so
0: there's all these things that we kind of hold in our ego and our ideas of what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. So I think therapy is a time to unpack it and to kind of put it down for a second. Kind of imagine, well, what would it be like just to maybe like let go of that for a moment? How do I feel if I separate this expectation? Just kind of exploring how it feels to lighten the emotional load. The time can feel so heavy, Um, so so heavy. So being able, in any way, to lighten that emotional burden. Yeah, hundred percent. And to know
2: that we do carry so much. We carry so much Mm -hmm. from how we saw our own parents. You know what they did that we liked, what they did that we didn't like, and then our partner has their own stuff. You know their parents, their grandparents. So totally. it's, um, and it's a lot of the things that you say, you know, like, I will never do that. And then you see yourself doing that as mm-hmm. a parent. And so I do think therapy during pregnancy can be so important just to start looking at it. And you're not going to have all the answers so you're actually like really in it. I feel like that's when like the old stuff really surfaces. But at least you can start the conversation of just like really vulnerable. Like if if I start doing this, please in a lovingly way alert me because I don't, That's not my intention, you know, or that's not the way I want to go with this. But that's really deep in my psyche or my subconscious.
0: Well, you're speaking my language. One, you're talking (laughs) about being intentional, which is which is my whole goal. Um, But two, like you know what you're talking about is starting this kind of thinking in these kind of conversations when you're pregnant. That's that's pretty much what I'm trying to encourage everybody in the world to do during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the philosophy philosophy behind my course is to prevent postpartum depression and anxiety, start getting some education, knowing what to expect really for us mentally and emotionally, and start to prepare because prevention is possible. Yeah. And
2: that's a piece that's a whole other topic I want to get into now is the prevention piece because I do feel like, you know, and pretty much everyone that's listening to this knows how passionate I am about the first 40 days, which is also what we spoke about on the panel but i feel like if you are resting if you are eating the warming foods you're mm-hmm. eating enough you're having support and care around you you're doing the vaginal steaming you know all of these things that are proven for thousands of years to really support the healing you're you're just encapsulating the nervous system and really protecting yourself about like going off the cliff so i feel like i mean i don't know the statistics of it but i feel like if most of us did that postpartum depression and anxiety would greatly be reduced. But it's also the education piece. You know, there's like the physical part, but then there's also like our genetic makeup, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then how we also deal with the chemical shift as well. So, I mean, that's why I'm so passionate about it. It's not just because it's like this cool, trendy 40 days. I just know that moms are going to be so much better off if they can just honor this time and heal to move forward. But for people that Say they're doing that, but then it really is a chemical thing, or they feel like this massive rage or you know, Mm -hmm. anger with their life, or it's totally spewing out on their partner. Is that like, is it mostly talk therapy that you do, or are you into like supplements or meds, or like how do you navigate all that?
0: Yeah, so I personally only provide talk therapy, but I also think of myself. As a case manager, I my background is as a clinical social worker, which is not just providing therapy, but looking at the entire system. So the oh biopsychosocial cultural yeah. system. And so it's connecting with the resources that you need when there's gaps in support along any any of those systems. Um, so for, for the biological, like we want to talk about sleep. If their babies of a certain age, Maybe I work with a gentle sleep coach that mm-hmm. helps helps them find sleep strategies that work with their preferences, whether it's attachment or co-sleeping or anything. Mm-hmm. So biological is we're looking at their health, their diet, their exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, have they made themselves a dentist appointment? Have they actually right. gone to their appointments? Mm-hmm. Um, I work a lot with acupuncturists and traditional Chinese medicine who specialize in this perinatal stage and making those referrals. And we also look at Western medicine. So when it comes to psychiatry, that is a decision that each woman has to make. There there is a time and a place, in my opinion, for severe depression um, and for postpartum psychosis. I really feel that medication is an important tool. I still empower each woman to make that decision for herself but I'm there to help provide education and also a referral to a reproductive psychiatrist who really knows the stage versus just just anyone. And so sometimes there's myths around medication that need to be misabused. I feel like um, it's a big one.
2: There are yeah. A lot of, I feel like there's not accurate information. Yeah. But a lot of us know. So that's awesome that you're making that more accessible. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs>
0: and, you know, it's still in America. like there you know, the pharmaceutical industry has a, has a lot of concerns. I'm not a fan of people just taking antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication yeah. without any kind of therapy or looking at the underlying issues. Yeah um, then then I think it can be problematic, um, but I think when it's used um, as a one piece of that puzzle. For some women they have tried everything. Yeah. Um sometimes I'll be working with someone who has waited like seven or eight years mm. and then finally is ready, It's like, okay, I've tried everything else, I've gone down the checklist, I've tried everything else and you know, I'm still still so low. Yeah. It then when they try it, it's like I, I just wish I would have done that sooner. I know. It's hard when you have that. Yeah, um, and then there's still there's judgment on breastfeeding women. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the reproductive psychiatrists and lactation consultants I know do do their research and feel like there are medications that are safer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's milk banks that will happily accept milk for premature babies with antidepressants in the system, depending on what it is, mm-hmm. and. So I think that's another piece of stigma is you know a woman might finally be ready she's gone worked through all the layers of self stigma and like I shouldn't have to need it like I should be strong enough and then someone close to her will say like no don't do that to the baby right and she's back to that martyrdom
2: place like yeah. well, I, guess I should just suffer yeah and that's such an important piece even if you're breastfeeding at all, you know, really where is the mom's mental health? Because for me, having been in this world now and my, two of my own kids, it really, you know, we know breastfeeding mm-hmm. is best. Like breast milk is best for baby. That is, that is just a fact. Like what is in breast milk is best for a baby. But if mom is, you know, having to do so much, pump around the clock, you know, take mm-hmm. all of these things to up her milk, you know, Still, you know, coming off a traumatic birth, there's so many pieces. And if that's really just setting you up to fail mentally, I don't feel like it's worth it because there's so many better formulas now on the market. I I mean, I do agree. I did half and half uh, with my second after six months. And at 10 months, I mean, I won't even go into my whole story because I have shared a lot of it, but with the tongue ties and was pumping so much. I pumped like six times a day with my first till 13 mm-hmm. months, which was it's brutal. so much. And then with my second, and I just didn't want to not be giving her the breast milk. And then luckily a friend said to me, like, if if you were your own client, what would you say? And I was mm-hmm. like, I would tell her she's done an amazing job. And if she's ready to stop, it's time to stop. And mm-hmm. just giving that love back to myself was just what I needed. And I did a little, I did my last pump. I did a little ceremony. I gave it to the plants Mm because I was away from my baby that weekend. And it all just kind of came to a beautiful closure, you know? And so there's so many different ways to do it. But I do think that martyrdom just has to go because yes, we give everything, but like it can't be at the cost of our mental health. Exactly. Because life with your child is forever. I mean, it's like a whole long life, you know? God willing, that we have with our kids. And we want to enjoy it. I mean, we have kids to improve our life and have a wonderful life. I mean, we want
0: to feel... I I want women to know that they they have their own intrinsic value. Occasionally, Mm -hmm. people will feel at this time like, all right, I'm an incubator for this child and now I'm a cow to provide for them. And I don't know anybody who enjoys pumping because that certainly makes you feel like a dairy cow. And... It doesn't release oxytocin the way that most people feel breastfeeding. So yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily the fun times, the warm
1: and cozies. Totally.
0: And so...
2: Do you work a lot with women that are pregnant or do most people find yes. you postpartum? Do you
0: work yeah, so initially I started working um, with, with postpartum women with postpartum depression and anxiety um, among other topics. I do. I do work with other things like addiction and young adults and kind of life transitions and college students. But initially I was working with postpartum depression and anxiety as well as loss, perinatal loss, stillbirth, miscarriage, the anxiety during pregnancy after a loss,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, working with postpartum couples. As we know, relationships do change dramatically after baby. <laughs> um, and then it, it kind of happened organically. I had some clients who were still working with me who got pregnant again. Mm-hmm. Okay, I do not want to go through that again. What can we do to make sure that doesn't happen again? So we, we started developing. A prevention plan, um, and then with I think maybe as more awareness is coming up over the years, I've had clients reach out to me ahead of time. Sometimes I've had women I'm working with just on other topics, maybe general underlying depression and anxiety, and they know that I have the specialty and this focus, and we're talking about when when to conceive, and so we're working on a prevention plan. Or I have women who are pregnant and say, well, I think I might be high risk because I had an earlier previous episode of depression. It runs in my family. I'm having some interpersonal issues and other things going on. And so then we started working on a prevention
3: plan for them. Mm -hmm. And it works.
2: It's amazing.
3: That's a great thing. So what's the new course you're doing? So
0: (laughs) one... Well, selfishly, the reason why I wanted to move to online education was because I couldn't get any more people in my schedule. In 2018, I was totally full. And then in 2019, I was having to refer people out. I just couldn't fit them in. I don't believe in a wait list. I'm not going to keep people waiting for therapy. I'm going to try to connect them with someone else. And, well, You know, everybody is unique, but there are some things that I kept saying over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, wouldn't it be great to get this out there, get this information that I know works out to others? Maybe, you know, sometimes people cannot afford therapy. Many of us cannot, or they cannot find a therapist that accepts their health insurance. They have childcare issues and cannot get there on a time when a therapist is available or I live in San Diego and there's, we actually have a really high level of perinatal specialists, but maybe they live in an area that does not. So there's all these barriers. The course is not a replacement for therapy because in therapy, you're really seen, you're really heard, but the part of therapy can be this psychoeducation, which is like the education of how to psychologically help yourself. And then one thing that was kind of exciting earlier this year, and I kind of have been talking anecdotally about what I found works, um, but there, if for anyone who's a science-minded person and likes to see the evidence, there was a really large meta-analysis that looked at some of the same treatment models we know and that, that I use that help prenatal mood and anxiety disorders. One is called interpersonal psychotherapy or IPT. And another is CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy that's been around for a long time for depression and anxiety. But the study looked at all the different ways that you could prevent perinatal depression in women at risk. And the only two ways that were shown to significantly reduce the risk of perinatal depression were the two counseling forms, IPT Mm. and CBT. Mm. And so those, those are um, some of the treatment models that I draw on. I also like to look at um, the reproductive story. So for anybody who's a therapy nerd, you know, I'm not super big on intervention or therapeutic style. I'll jump around. But I like this one. It comes from a narrative approach, which is looking at the story. Mm-hmm. The idea is that we all have had this story in our head of what becoming a mother would be like. Um, maybe you were a little girl and you're like, Oh yeah, one day I'll probably have, to, you know, get married and then have two or three kids. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever said, Oh yeah, I'm going to, um, have three miscarriages and then baby's going to be in the yeah. NICU. And, you know, there's never any kind of, um, story that someone is hoping for or dreaming for. And so any kind of variance from that story is a loss, a grief and loss process on so many different levels. Totally. And
2: and so isolating because you're like, no one that I knew growing up is mm-hmm. going through this or
0: has gone through this. And for so long people don't talk about it. They're like, Don't Definitely. tell anybody you're pregnant until you're past the miscarriage stage. And so yeah. everybody so one in four women think that they're the only one. It's a lot. And yeah. Then is do you find yourself counseling women that go through the IVF process? Definitely. So there's so many layers um in the fertility journal journey. There's so much questioning of ourselves and our core identity. Yeah. Who am I as a woman if I can't? And not to mention the expense,
2: you know. Oh yeah. I met a woman the other day at the at the panel who's she's pregnant now, but she just been doing IVF for three years. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, a lot of women can't afford that. And then even if you can, that's a massive amount of money, you know and heartache. It's such an emotional rollercoaster. Yeah, I mean, uh, just every month. I can't even imagine what Mm -hmm. that is actually like. Yeah. You have women adopting and that's a whole thing. I feel like that's an area that really needs more support.
0: Yep. So I'll talk to people who are in the adoption process on both sides. Fascinating attachment work comes up for adults who are adopted as children when they become Mm -hmm. parents. Um, There's a lot of attachment work to be done there.
2: Wow! So going back and you kind of figure out where the the fissure is and how to kind of bring it back within themselves. Wow!
3: Yeah.
0: So for the That's course, true. it like I said, doesn't really replace therapy. But some of what I've tried to mimic is that self reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of time, the insight my clients get in therapy is not from me telling them something, but from them sitting and realizing it themselves, saying it right. themselves. So I have a lot of guided journal prompts. So that's like questions for them to do in their own journaling. And then um, m- my first round, the beta testers asked for a way for them to tell their story to each other. So I've turned on comments within each of the lecture sections. And so now they're telling their stories to the other participants in the course and they're responding to each other. And that's been really exciting and powerful to see. That's so cool. And then they obviously can take that work to their own therapy, it was with yeah. someone else too. You know,
3: exactly kind of really opens so,
0: new topics up. So if it's someone who already is in therapy, or maybe their therapist isn't a perinatal specialist, then right. they can bring that material yeah. in and work with it. And then maybe there's someone who never thought they would do therapy. There's too much self stigma, and then maybe by the end they're like, yeah, that's not too scary. I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have an ulterior motive of maybe, maybe trying to get people to it. And then maybe there's women who, who don't need it, don't need to go to therapy. Maybe by using this course, they're going to be empowered. Um, I actually give skills and strategies like that I usually teach in therapy or you can usually only find in therapy. I think there's a lot of information, thankfully now online about you know what is postpartum depression, what is postpartum anxiety, anger, etc. But there's not necessarily this information of like, okay, how do you deal with it? How do you cope with it? How do you move through it?
3: Yeah. So
0: that, that was my goal to bring to people. And that that was something I, I felt like we needed. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome because I feel like
2: it's so important for moms pregnant because also you don't want to drive across town. I mean, if you have another kid, it's impossible yeah. oftentimes. I'm going to start doing an online thing too because for new moms, like mm-hmm. it's so hard. But to offer something, and even doing Zoom sessions when their baby's napping, you know, when they're lying exactly. in bed and baby's nursing. I mean, there's so many new ways to do it, which is so exciting in this age that we can actually spread the word to a lot more people.
0: Yeah. Well, keep me posted on that. I'd love I to. That can be like a whole other conversation. <laughs>
2: yeah, I will. I will.
0: Um, do you do Zoom calls with clients or not really? So I do. um Currently, I I do that for existing clients. Right. Um, I have to be careful that I can only provide psychotherapy within the state of California, mm-hmm. um, and so that that's like the licensing law. But I I can provide like a brief consultation. So right now, it's like an option with the course is to purchase like a consultation Zoom session, mm-hmm. which probably you know mostly Zoom, but I'm open to their their preferred right. medium. But for my existing clients, if they, you know, I tell people like, don't cancel. Like, if you can't get here, like, call me or we'll FaceTime, we'll Skype, we'll Zoom, like something. That's like, awesome. we'll, yeah, um, we'll we'll find a way to connect. It's your time, and I want to make sure I'm supporting you.
2: That's awesome because it's so it just makes you so sad when you when you've planned the time, and then baby gets sick, or nanny doesn't mm-hmm. show up, or your partner mm-hmm. had to stay late, and it's just when you really need that help and you're you know, in crisis. It's important to have other
0: options. And some people, everybody's different. Some people are like, yeah, yeah, talking is talking. It doesn't matter. And some people will do it in a pinch, but really like to come in. They
2: just, yeah. they like they that. They a person. Face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are other things that you feel like are important to share? I feel like there's so many parts to this whole
0: <laughs> I topic. And I, I've
2: been jumping yeah. around
0: a lot, but... um yeah. I mean that like that's hard to hard for me because there's like so many different directions I could go. I think just letting women know that
3: they they matter, they deserve support, they don't have to be at a to still benefit from getting extra support in this life transition.
0: How do you how do you navigate the the
2: coupledom? <laughs> during during the first couple of months because I feel like there is so much expectation. There's so much resentment. There's the touch out. There's just the sheer exhaustion on both sides. And do feel well,
0: like yeah. we're, we're eight years into it and still figuring it out. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right.
2: The communication um, piece is just so massive.
3: Yeah. So for me, For me, one thing that I see
0: is that just because I have this education and theoretically know what helps and what's going to make it better doesn't mean I necessarily do it in the moment. It doesn't mean that we always practice it, but I do have some insights. One piece that's important to me is to always feel like my partner and I are a team. Mm-hmm. together yeah. um that the the spousal subunit so the unit of the two of us is the foundation of the family mm-hmm. and prioritizing it it obviously in those first 40 days like you you want to keep the little new cr- helpless creature alive that right. feels like it has to be the priority and it is but how do you start to swing the pendulum back when all right, the baby, okay, I think we've got it. I think we can keep this child alive. Or even if you're struggling with that, if you are a NICU family, if you are a baby with special needs, you're going to need to feel strong in your relationship all the more. So even if that's still a struggle, just thinking of your relationship as the foundation of your house, of your family, and being able... And I say this, it is so much easier said than done because there's simply not enough time in the day to to sleep enough, to eat enough, to take care of your individual needs, your couple needs, your romantic needs, your financial needs. Yeah. I know there's so many different pieces to it. I I love hearing at the panel that we just did, hearing from women who you know from the outside I might think do it all hearing them say that balance is a myth and totally <laughs> that
2: was that I loved it I was like I needed to hear that yeah totally there's there's no balance or maybe it's a balance over a month or 3 months or 6 months where you're getting kind of the different pieces but there's right. there's no way to do it all in one day or even one week you know there's no way but i do think the the relationship piece is so important and anyone that listens to this podcast knows how much I've worked on that, and um, a therapist that my husband I've gone to, and I also listened to all of his stuff is Stan Tatkin and he's really about the top of the pyramid being the, the couple. Mm-hmm. and then how that actually brings so much safety and support you know, to the kids. And oh yeah. it's, um, it's a slippery slope because you, you start off those first 40 days where the baby's everything, and then I mean I see it a lot. It's like then two years goes by and that's still the dynamic. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really just being conscious of it and, and not pressuring yourself, like forgiving yourself, forgiving your partner. It's like knowing it's going to be fumbly for the first couple months. And then also knowing, which I think more people need to be talking about, it doesn't have to go from like nothing to like hot sex again. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you might have real PTSD vagina where like that is like the worst thing. And so a lot of moms or women just kind of cut themselves off from Mm -hmm. partner. But, it can feel so great to refill with your partner, just cuddling, just having that time to really
0: let them spoon you for 15 minutes at night. You know, I, I noticed that a little bit more with the moms; they don't necessarily notice the lack of physical intimacy because they may be getting that from baby, totally. and so they're like they're getting the cuddles and the hugs, and they may not even realize or be aware that they're not like hugging or caressing Mm -hmm. or touching their partner just in those little ways that they would have done earlier on in the relationship. Yeah. And those things
2: really do add up, you know? And then it makes the partner feel so much more loved and seen also. Then they feel more confident in doing the provider stuff all day that they're stressed out about. You know, it's just... It can be these little tweaks, but it's very easy to just go through it unconsciously because you are doing so much.
0: And then just you a know, little tip that anyone can find is very accessible is love languages. You can, mm-hmm. I mean, you can do an online quiz to find out your love language, but even just like hearing about the five, you'll probably know what you are. But the important question is, well, what is your partner? Mm-hmm. Um, so the love, five love languages for anyone that's not familiar with them, one is physical touch. One is acts of service or doing things mm-hmm. that are helpful. There's quality time, spending time together. There's gifts, like purchasing gifts. And then the final is words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. And almost all of us find ourselves in a relationship where our partner speaks a different language from us. Yes. And so we may oftentimes in relationships, we feel like we're giving more love than we're getting. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is we're talking to each other in different languages. Um, so so today, one reason why I was rushing to, to get you know lunch and everything done before this call was, I made it a point to go pick up food for for my husband because that's his love language. Well, f- one food should be the sixth love language. Right. I mean, it should just be <laughs> on there. But in this particular case, I can also kind of lump it together with the acts of service because that's yeah. that's his number one. Like, that's not necessarily like like I'm like, okay, you do laundry, like great. Like, I know some women would freak out about it, but I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's not necessarily my my thing, but for him, it does make a difference.
3: Yeah. I
0: feel like
2: mine is acts of service too, hmm. which it is tricky when it's not yours because it just, it doesn't feel intuitive. Mm-hmm. But it is so important to know your partner's love language. Yeah. And yours too, just to not bug out when they're not doing what you want because it's, they represent in a different way too. Right. Or when I'm like, why
0: don't you get it that I want this? It's like, oh, it's okay. and <laughs> you know, I'm a therapist and probably no surprise that words of affirmation is one of mine. Yeah. Um, so yeah.
1: Totally. Like, I, I just want to be heard. <laughs> I know. I think
2: that's, that one's a big one for me. And then the touch is another big one for me. That's, that's my second. Yeah. yeah. What, what sign are you? I'm a Taurus. Oh, okay. I'm a Scorpio. Mm. Yeah, it just is so I just feel like the couple's work is so deep. Even if it's a year out of having a baby or six months out, is just it's so important to regroup and and kind of come back to to each other in a new way because we mm-hmm. expand and change so much when we have children. And each child
0: is different too. And so the research is it's two-thirds of couples. Two-thirds of couples will experience less satisfaction in their relationship yes. after the birth of a baby. And well, if you want to talk about things that nobody else, nobody's telling you when you're pregnant, like that was another one. Like that's a big one. Yeah. Nobody told me that, but well, actually, yes, it makes sense. It
2: does. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And not to
2: like bring fear into people's lives, but I did read something where a
0: huge amount of divorce happens after your second kid. Is that Mm -hmm. accurate? I don't know the research, but Um, we could certainly look at it. Although to be on the bright side... I did hear that we're divorcing less. Yeah. We're getting divorced way less than the baby boomers. In part it's because our generation is, I'm assuming you're the same age as me. Um but I'm How old are you? I'm 41. That's I don't know yeah. if you're close, yeah. but forty one. Exactly. <laughs> I just I mean I was yeah. assuming you're the same generation, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so our generation waits longer to get married. Yeah. And I I mean, that was a conscious decision on my part. I was 21 when when my parents separated and they were like, my mom was like 19 when they got together. And I was like, well, I'm not getting married young. Like you just grow up and you want different things. And so it was a very conscious decision on my part until my late 20s to be like, I am not settling down. I'm not, yeah, I have to live my life. I have to be me. And for me, you know, I feel satisfied with the amount of living I did in my twenties that was selfish and for me and traveling and my own creative pursuits and my own educational goals and career goals. Um, and just holding space for women that don't feel like they're in the place in their life where they want that. And so that, that is actually another risk factor is. To be a young mom, it can make it harder because then in, it does feel like more of a loss of a life that you could have had. Totally.
2: But there's all you know. There's always course correction because I can look back and be like, "Oh God, why didn't I travel? Why didn't I do that? You know, I got that invitation. Why didn't I go to Thailand or why didn't I do yeah. that?" But there is also something about living your life with kids, you know, and figuring oh, it out okay. and going on adventures with them. And I do feel like. Motherhood opens you up into a completely different part of yourself. And we mm-hmm. I feel like we're better for it and we're more expansive for it and we're better people for it. And it also is a lot of work.
3: So it, it's just it all is.
0: Things. yeah. So one thing that's been part of my own personal journey is, you know, allowing myself to to shine. Mm-hmm. I have the analogy of getting my color back. So it comes from flamingos. Mm-hmm. So um, as I said, I'm from San Diego. You may have heard of the San Diego Zoo. It's a big zoo. One job I had when I uh, did a lot of um, acting and performance art was I was a statue in the San Diego Zoo and I was right near the entrance. So I was like a Greek statue water fountain. And it was, it was really beautiful. There was like Sarah McLaughlin music and I would mm-hmm. like, slowly come to life and the water would come out of my fingertips. And oh, wow. It, it, was, be- it was beautiful. But I, so I did like five sets. I did five shows on the hour. And so I would be kind of like (laughs) in my shed behind. And so I'd hear the tour bus always come by, the guided tour talking about the flamingos because they were right across from me. I was near Mm -hmm. the entrance. And so I would always hear about how, well, flamingos get their color from the crustacean that they eat, except for pregnant and new mothers, they lose all their color. And Uh, it's true because the moms are giving all their nutrients to their babies. And those flamingos are, if you see them, there's like those pale white flamingos. Those are the new moms. Wow. They're giving the life source away. And so for me, having a conscious effort to bring my color back, to be like, okay, maybe I don't have to have this notion in my head of what a Forty-year-old mother of two looks like like oh. I don't have to do that. I yeah. can I can be me. I can be the me that I was, the me that I am now, um, the me that's a mom. And as you said, be all the better for it for having these facets.
2: Amen. And it's so much fun. Like I love when I'm in that flow of listening to loud music in the car, and my kids are seeing me dance. And mm-hmm. you know when they're when they're just kind of like open jaw. I mean, they know I'm like weird, and you know. Mm-hmm. You know kid myself in a lot of ways with them but it's fun like it's fun to enjoy your life with them you know and and let them see you shine. They my kids love it. They're like "Mom's gonna be on TV and they get get excited. Also not to be weird but you kind of look like a flamingo right now. You're wearing a pink shirt (laughs) and I'm wearing glasses and you have red like pinky hair. It's not really pink but it looks I got some color, color, yeah. Yeah. You look like a very elegant flamingo.
3: All right. Stand on one leg for (laughs) you.
2: well thank you so much I mean I feel like we could just keep going on if there's anything you want to close with but I don't even I can't think of like another topic to neatly tie up in a bow but I just think all of this is so important and I'm so glad that you are out there doing this work because it is it's really making and breaking women's you know lives and and families and it's just it's such a amazing
0: act of service really so thank you Maybe just making sure that everyone knows how to access help. Postpartum Support International is an international organization that connects women all over the world with perinatal specialists. So it's Postpartum um, Support International. Uh, I think they're postpartum help on Instagram and they have... Volunteers all over the world that can help you locate your support. They have a new online directory that just came out, wow. um, so you can actually like do the filter search. Um, currently, I mean, previously they had um, their coordinators and helpers listed out. Like you could pull up your state, pull up your county, you mm-hmm. could find someone. But now, now they have like an online directory that just came out. Like that is so maybe, cool. Like, Never even heard of that. That's
2: amazing. Yeah. And then when does your course come out and how can people find you? It's out. We love oh, it. It's oh, amazing. Oh,
3: yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. Um, so preventppd.com is the easiest. That okay. stands for prevent postpartum depression. You can find me on Instagram at birdtherapy. It's B-U-R-D therapy. Okay. Um Therapy.com is also my my website, more focused on my San Diego practice. But I also have... Gosh, I've been blogging for years and years and years. So there's, there's a lot on there on all of these topics and more.
3: Great. Very cool.
0: Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure meeting you in person the other
2: day and chatting today. And I just really appreciate you saying yes and
0: jumping on this interview two days later. <laughs> it was my pleasure. I... I I loved everything that you were talking about and sharing. And, um, thank you. Yeah. However, I can be of support and help you and your clients and listeners, please let me know. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll have all this in the show notes so people
2: can reach out to you too if they feel the call. And, and I just, I want to end on that all help is good no matter how it resonates with every different woman whether mm-hmm. it's a doula a midwife their OB a therapist a body worker you know there's no judgment on how you find help and I right. think that's also another piece is like
0: all help is great help and finding what works for you is the key right I'm on I'm all of the above and also I, uh, I consider it I'm laying out a buffet table of options and then you can pick what, what seems like what would be the best
2: for you Thank you so much. I so enjoyed this and I look forward to more.